0: This week on a bonus episode of the Baseline Podcast, We are joined by James Yoder, the host of Michigan Football Report, and we are super excited to talk about more Michigan football, what he thinks of the state of Michigan football. Does he see it as a good way they're going or a bad way? And we also talk about what he thinks is the biggest factor for them this upcoming season. All that and so much more coming up on the Baseline Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Baseline Podcast. It's like a bonus episode again this week, but we're back. Uh, I'm Ben. That's Josh. I'm wearing my high State stuff because I was going to get caught red-handed twice. Uh, But uh, Josh, we have another special guest this week. Who do we got? And let's get us going.
1: Yeah, this week we have James Yoder from the Michigan Football Report at Chat Sports. He's an excellent guy to watch on YouTube. Very entertaining. Also one of the best Twitter accounts that I follow. James, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the kind words. I uh, hope I live up to those uh, expectations. <laughs> oh, I think you definitely will. But uh, we brought you on because we want to talk a little bit more Michigan football. Uh, Ben's got the Ohio State jersey on, so I'll act as a referee if I need to here, make sure we don't get too heated. But this last season was one of the best ones Michigan's had in a while, something that uh, was uh, definitely special for the fan base. Uh, a lot of seniors. Uh It all kind of just came together, so I imagine for you, as a Michigan fan, that was really exciting to watch. What were your thoughts on the way that last year went? Yeah, I mean, wild
2: season compared to expectations. You're coming off two and four, uh, and just a disaster of a season in 2020 with COVID, and quarterback play was terrible, and I think across the board, you had guys sitting out like Nico Collins and some other ones, and so caught everybody by surprise, but I think it was pretty clear from probably the second game against Washington that this was a different team and maybe Jim Harbaugh is a different guy. I kind of equated it during the season to um, sometimes when you're like at your lowest point, whether it's in life, at work, anywhere, it's just kind of like there's nothing to lose. And so, uh, you know, what, what are we going to do here? And, and I think Michigan kind of played with the Harbaugh at least. Like, they're going to fire me anyways if I go seven and five or worse. So might as well just do... What I want to do, I think you know, some of that uh, played out with how they approached the season from an offensive perspective, and went back to what a lot of Michigan fans thought they would get from Harbaugh early on, which is a very heavy running game, which we, you know, never really saw in the first six years.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that Washington game. I actually was in attendance for that. That was the first time I'd ever been to the big house. Uh, I tried to get to like a lot of the bigger college football stadiums uh, around where I live in Northeast Indiana. And I was, uh, it was actually the day of, I planned I was gonna make the trip up there just cuz ticket prices were really good. It was the night game. It was Washington. So it just sounded like it was a perfect night to go and attend Michigan uh, up there at the big house for the first time. But I'm curious uh, about your Michigan fandom. Can you give us a little bit of background on that? Cuz I think you are located in Texas if I remember Practice. so did you grow up in the Ann Arbor area at all no I grew up in actually Cleveland area
2: uh in Ohio oh. as well uh you know and um in the deep the country but my dad's whole side of the family is from uh you know, southeast Michigan and um he huge Michigan fan he's in season tickets uh there's a c- couple year blip in there but for nearly 50 years now uh like the 70 maybe like it is 50 years 71 72 season something like that um I think there was a blip in the early 90s where he didn't have him for four or five years but um and then had a few family members them, uh, attend Michigan I went to U- University of Toledo but I always approached people like how do you uh, become a Michigan fan in Ohio well you've got family from Michigan a dad is a diehard you go to a ton of games um but also I grew up in you know the the late 90s you know early 2000s and, and when I was in you know fifth grade sixth grade tenth grade Michigan was winning every year so it actually kind of became a little bit of a you know a battle cry to, to be able to brag uh you know when you're in seventh grade that I hired for Michigan and they just beat Ohio State again um Luckily, you know, I got kind of out of the state of Ohio when when the uh, the losing, you know, became really bad over the last like 12, 15 years. And if you deal with Ohio State fans every day when I was growing up, uh, not a bad thing. And so uh, chat sports, though, is headquartered in Texas, uh, in Dallas. Uh, We've got a a studio. We've got four studios downtown uh, Dallas and expanding every, uh, you know, every um, little bit. We were trying to add four more studios before the football season. So that's why uh, Texas for me.
0: Oh, wow, he uh he he's uh so he doesn't. Are we that bad? Are Ohio State fans that bad? I'm just kidding. I know we're bad. I know we're not, bad. Not James. Said,
2: I think the reputation is uh, yeah, on the internet, and, and you know, Michigan fans who've never interacted with Ohio State fans that much, they'll say they're terrible and, and brutal and awful people. But I actually find Ohio State fans on social media to be fairly engaging. And I went to the 2018, yeah, 2018 Ohio State Michigan game yeah. um, in Columbus, kind of decked out. I was wearing jeans. It was a cold day, but I had uh, you know, I had a Michigan shirt on, uh, Jordan Michigan. Zip up, and I was one of the only people in the entire stadium. And I didn't really get that heckled. I actually, yeah. was more of like um, kind of you know just uh, friendly uh, back and forth, and not like people throwing a beer at my head. So I came away with that game with kind of a newfound respect. Like that wasn't that bad. People didn't like heckle me or throw a beer at me. Yeah, we're not too bad.
1: Yeah, I was. I'd say I think Ohio State fans for the most part are the same way. I'm a Florida fan, James, so not too uh, not too much to be struggles. happy about over there. But. Um, <sighs> I've, I've always had positive interactions with Ohio State fans. That's what most of my friends are, uh, being an Ohio native myself. Uh, the worst I've ever seen Ohio State fans, I guess, is I was actually in attendance uh, 2019, Ohio State at IU, and there was this shouting match between this IU fan and this Ohio State fan. Like They were right in each other's face. It looked like they might throw hands a little bit, but it just kind of ended with uh, the OSU fan uh, throwing double birds up at him, yeah. and then he had a couple <laughs> of his buddies behind him backing up, it looked like, and then uh, it just kind of de-escalated from there. But, yeah, <laughs> always positive. Uh, positive vibes with Ohio State fans from my experience at least, Um, but kind of transitioning from uh, this past Michigan season to the current off season, Uh They've been missing out on a couple of these QB prospects like uh, Dante Moore right in their backyard, CJ Carr, not only in their backyard and Celine, but also, I mean, the grandson of one of the legendary coaches Lloyd Carr. And you would really like to see uh, a team that just won the big 10 championship uh, be able to parlay that success and getting some of these quarterbacks. So talk to me about uh, maybe some of the reasons you think that they've been losing out on these guys and uh, what that could uh, do in the long term
2: it's you know to start off, it's disappointing that you have for the first time in the re- you know, recruiting era when people are keeping rankings on the internet going back 20-ish years. You know, Michigan's only had a couple, if any, uh, maybe one or two five stars at all, let alone back-to-back classes. I don't know if C.J. Carr will end up being a five-star all-in, but did not get either one of them. You know, challenging. Now you go back and you think, well, Michigan switched offensive coordinators. Did that hurt? You know, Josh Gaddis, you know, people say he went to Miami. I don't think he was gonna necessarily be invited back. I think he was maybe mm. nudged out the door to go find something else because I don't think his philosophy worked for the first year and a half, two years that they try to run it. And it was pretty clear to anybody who follows these things closely that it wasn't necessarily him. Call all the shots this past season, I don't yeah. believe. Um, and so you got that factor. You got Harbaugh on National Signing Day doing an interview <laughs> with the Vikings uh, in January, or is it January? Yeah, February, whenever it was. Um, and then from there, you've got the NIL factor, which people want to blame on, on all this. And maybe that could be part of the case. There's a lot of rumors out there that Dante Moore's parents uh, or uncle, whoever got jobs at Nike as part of the deal and have an allotment of money so he, the family can travel to all of his games out there okay cool um but outside of that the thing that's most concerning to me is that both those schools Notre Dame and Oregon that CJ Carr 2024 Dante Moore 23 both my first year head coaches so he didn't have any established relationship with them for four years yeah. since he was in ninth grade eighth grade or you know going back uh and it's not like either one of those guys the longtime OC there right uh both defensive coaches so I could have seen if you had gone to Oklahoma, right? Or maybe not Oklahoma right now. Let's just say USC, right? Uh, or hell, even Ohio State, right? Or LSU or a school that's got a track record, Alabama, of putting out big-name quarterbacks in the NFL over the past four or five years as we've kind of gone into this. I think like 2018 season till now is like the new era of like the big schools have become the air raid schools, yeah. right? Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama and Oklahoma. I would have been okay with that, but given that it's two defensive coaches um, – on their first year, meaning they, eight, they out-recruited Jim Harbaugh in his backyard for a legacy, a, Lloyd Carr's grandson, and a kid that's been a Michigan fan and has been offered since he just finished his seventh grade year in Dante Moore. Those guys came in and got the job done in, what, six, seven months uh, hmm. in Jim Jim Harbaugh's backyard. That's more concerning than any of the other stuff for NIL or anything like that.
0: Do you think Do you think him – like the whole – the really fascinating thing for me is the whole – NFL flirtatious thing that he does it seems like every year I mean it seems like Jim Harbaugh I don't know if it's like it's like him trying to get more money out of Michigan like I, I'm i just for me as a high estate fan I sit back and I try to look at it non-biasedly like mm-hmm. try not to be not biased but sometimes I'm just like it's like, sometimes I look at it as like a crazy guy. Like he just like, he wants the drama to be associated like every off season or every season. And I just, I'm trying to figure out how do you think the fan base, how much longer will they tolerate kind of like this? Oh, I might go to the NFL. Oh, I, I might do this, but hey, I'm mm-hmm. gonna lose two quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Like how much more do they tolerate where they start pushing back and saying, all right, we gotta get something other than just winning the big Ten first time in a long time and beating high state for the first time in a long time.
2: I I'm guessing it'll depend on what had just happened in the prior season. So if they beat Ohio state again, this season on the road at a top two preseason team, and let's say you win the big tennis part of that, go to the playoff back back years and he flirts the NFL again, I think it'd be more of the same. People will be like, okay, well, he got us back. Beat Ohio state. If he's going to go on cool, like for and then and then lasts for four weeks, five weeks, like it did last year after like week two, people be like, mm-hmm. okay, make a decision already. Now, um, and I think if he were to leave after a back-to-back Big Ten, you know, championships beating Ohio State, he probably would be welcome back as a former coach, alumni, do a little wave at halftime in a few years, something like that. <laughs> now, if they lose to Ohio State and it's a bloodbath and he's looking, I think people just throw their – people were mostly like – uh, throwing up their hands the last couple of weeks. And when he went in an interview with the Vikings, like, all right, just take the damn job already. Um, and <laughs> that's because it just had gone on for so long. And Michigan fans thought they were going to lose out on you know, other coaches. If they lose to Ohio state this year, Go nine and three in the regular season or something like that. I don't think there'll be much um, you know, uh, temperature for that amongst the fan base. If he starts looking around, there's rumors and he doesn't come out and squash him instantly. People were like, just go already, get the hell out of here if you don't want to be here. They'll see it as a sign of hurting the program because of recruiting, like we saw this time, maybe. And well, the only reason you're here is because nobody else wants you, apparently. That's what happened last year. So um, you know, just just quit and go look for a job. I think that it'll depend on really what happened in November and and into the bowl season, how much leeway he gets in the fan base. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another reason why, you know, some people might uh, speculate why Michigan didn't get these guys is because Harbaugh really hasn't been able to develop a QB. Like he's had guys like Shea Patterson come through and Joe Milton. And obviously none of those guys lived up to the hype, but kind of on the flip side, like Dante Moore going to Oregon, I thought was interesting. Uh, I didn't even think about the first year coach aspect, but also what kind of quarterbacks has Oregon produced? Like, two, four, seven throughout like the top 10 QBs that Oregon's thrown out. And Dante Moore is like going to be the highest rated QB they've ever gotten in the building. Mm -hmm. And when you go through the top 10, the only one really uh, relevant on that list, at least in terms of making the NFL and stuff was Dennis Dixon Mm -hmm. and Justin Herbert was their 19th ranked QB that they've brought in the house. And Mm -hmm. after seeing him in the NFL, it looks like Oregon might've actually held him back a little bit with the way that they do things over there. So it makes me wonder if maybe Oregon has like a nice NIL deal kind of, in with the works for Dante Moore? Is that something that you've heard at all? And, uh, do you wish that Michigan would be, uh, maybe more active in NIL instead of so stubborn and saying like, you know, we're going to do it the Michigan way and raise Michigan men.
2: <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, the Oregon, uh, the Justin Herbert thing is the one he could point to recently. He's had more success than any Michigan quarterback, you know, that was at Michigan recently. Obviously Tom Brady was there 20 years ago. So, um, I don't know if it really makes a difference because that was under a different coaching staff, right? And that coaching staff, for the most part, is in Miami. Uh, and uh, Notre Dame, on the flip side, like what have they done? But and again, they've got a first-year um, coach who was a defense coordinator there for just one year. So neither one of them has got a track record. Uh, now, Tommy Reese was the OC at uh, Notre Dame for a number of years under Brian Kelly. So maybe that's the track record. What I think Michigan needs to do is they're not going to – jump out there and you're not going to hear people like, Oh, this core five-star quarterback signed a $10 million NIDEL deal to, to go to Michigan. Like you're hearing with Miami and Tennessee and other others, because I don't think their administration has the, you know, the stomach to uh, you know, deal with an investigation or sanctions if they do it the wrong way. And so what they need to do is make sure that Cade McNamara, JJ McCarthy, Diamond Edwards, Blake Corum, these kind of stars on offense and maybe even defense had it been a year ago. Chase, uh, not Chase Winovich, um, Aiden Hutchinson, Dax and Hill get NIL deals and they put them in place to get them with either existing sponsors around the program, um, open up you know, the ability for companies to reach them easily. They kind of roll out this thing where companies can apply to be you know, in their system now to send deals. I don't know how valuable that's going to be or not, um, but they need to then get the guys this season. It's got to happen this season. Um, whoever the starting quarterback is McCarthy, Cor- um, McNamara starting running back, best receiver have to come out with some big deals. Cause Ohio state, you're seeing, Oh, wow. Um, CJ Stroud has a deal to get a Bentley and uh, Travion Henderson has a deal. So he's got a, an unbelievable, you know, $75,000, $80,000 pickup truck and all that stuff. You haven't seen that from Michigan. You've heard a lot about NIL deals, but nothing too specific. That's getting recruits to get excited. And so, if they don't play the nine million dollars to come here for a five-star quarterback, you've got to be come here, compete for a year, or hell, even be the backup like JJ McCarthy, make five hundred k because these companies, there's two dozen companies, will pay you the second you're starting. They want to be in your business, and so I hope that plays out well for them. If they're not going to do the pay-for-play, uh, you know, version, the the thing I'm, I'm interested to see play out is you've already seen a couple rumors out there of guys getting promised things and then not, you know, the Pick wide receiver going to USC. There were some rumors last week about, okay, they made yeah. him all these NIL promises, but he hasn't seen him yet. And so I, I bet that bites some schools in the butt. Um, and I, I think Michigan's trying to avoid that in some regards. Mm.
1: Yeah. I, th- I don't think Michigan's going to really try to get involved in like the, the early recruiting NIL deals, at least. I think they're definitely a big enough school and have a lot of notable alumni that maybe some of the bigger stars on the team that you no, know, once they prove themselves, then they might be able to get deals like that. Or maybe even some guys, like you said, JJ McCarthy, he's kind of been doing some things kind of on his own, like running camps and stuff. And yeah. he's been paying some of his teammates. So I think that kind of stuff is cool. But speaking of JJ McCarthy and Cade McNamara, like, Michigan kind of has like this QB battle supposedly, even though McNamara did what he did last year in terms of winning and managing the games, not turn the ball over too much. I mean, he's a big 10 championship QB, but I think everybody's kind of uh, interested in McCarthy's athleticism plus uh, how hyped he was uh, as a recruit. Um, Is there actually a battle here? Do you think, or is McNamara definitely the guy and this is just all like media talk.
2: It's interesting that, um, you know, McCarthy thinking coming back with three years of eligibility, big 10 championship quarterback, most in history, you'd be like, well, it's a no brainer, but we all saw, we saw what McCarthy could do. And maybe what Cade's limitations were last year. Um, so McCarthy missed spring practice had a shoulder injury. As far as uh, everybody knows right now, he's back to hundred percent. He's done camps. He's throwing. And he'll be ready for camp when it gets kicked off here in about two and a half weeks. Um, I would guess right now that with the schedule being so weak to start the year, especially is that Cade will start and I'll kind of have a Henson Brady. If you guys are even old enough to remember back in the 99 season, one guy plays the first quarter, one buys plays the second quarter for the first three four five games of the year, whoever played the best gets to start the third and go from there. Um, and if, you roll out, I mean, we saw some amazing plays from McCarthy last year, Michigan state game. He had that kind of rollout touchdown pass to Andrew Anthony. He had the two deep bombs in, in scrub time, uh, first game of the year. And uh, I think it was against Wisconsin, both in scrub time to Dalen Baldwin, these, these deep passes, right in stride. And so if he gets a second quarter against the ones of the other team, even if it's Western, you know, it's Hawaii or whoever it is. Um, I think that um, you'll be able to, you know, go compare apples to apples And in the path. It's, Seems like it's been mostly apples to oranges. When McCarthy was throwing, it was against the second string for Western Michigan or the third string for Wisconsin in a blowout game, and McMurray was always going against the one. So if you do have both against going against the ones then whoever plays the best i think by the time about the fourth or fifth game of the year before you get to that iowan uh, road game that becomes your guy i guess it's going to be mccarthy or uh, mcmair is going to start game one probably game two three and mccarthy is going to have to prove that he just can't make that pass once or twice a game that he can you know throw 25 of those per game that uh, and, and do it at a high level without the turnovers that
1: for the most part k mcmair completely avoided last year Hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing too is you got to somewhat get McCarthy involved enough so that he doesn't transfer because so I imagine that's definitely kind of a scare around the Michigan Is that you know if he if there's absolutely no chance that he gets to start, then maybe he dips. Uh, do you think there might be a little bit of that?
2: I think it's pretty clear that whoever wins the job this year, or I should say, whoever is starting at the end of the year and has the leg up for the 2023 season, the other guy will transfer, right? Um, They both, even though they're two years apart as recruits, they technically have the same eligibility because McNamara redshirted in 2019. And then he got the COVID year in 2020. So he had a third year freshman eligibility last year. And so he has three years ago. And so whoever misses out on the job, I think they'll stick. I don't think anybody's going to dip, you know, in August because they're the backup and they'll both stick this season. And then who, you know, Maybe they go into spring if they both feel like they have it, but I doubt that. I I would guess that if I were to guess, uh, no matter what happens, I think after this year, um, you know, Harbaugh lets them both know that McCarthy, as long as he's you know living up to the hype, he's our guy. We want to get a full season out of him in 23, maybe two, if he stays for four years. And then McNamara, if he is the starter this year, maybe he goes pro. Who knows, right? I don't think he's much of a pro prospect right now, at least from the mock drafts, et cetera. Or he finds a nice landing spot to a school that, uh, hey, I'm a, you know, uh, back-to-back Big Ten championship quarterback or start a Big Ten champion and then, you know, a uh, rotational guy for a 10 or 12-win team and he'll find a nice landing spot for a year or maybe even two and, uh, you know, be a starter in multiple schools. I would guess that's the case. I don't think Michigan lets um, J.J. McCarthy transfer uh, at all. I think Harbaugh, if the screws were tightened after this year, he would tell Cade it's time to move on or be the backup.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, kind of, a, let's let's transition into more like discussion about the offense as a whole because mm-hmm. i think in in terms of offense and defense michigan has the most returning talent on that offense like guys like mm-hmm. cornelius johnson i believe are back you mentioned Andrew anthony blake Corm, donovan edwards like a lot of the guys that uh, broke out his weapons last year are going to be back plus ronnie bell who missed like most yep. of the entire season last year is going to be back so having him back is going to be definitely a bonus uh, what do you think this michigan offense could be capable of this year
2: well it depends on who the quarterback is. If it ends up being McCarthy, let's just say five games in, right? Let's guess in the on the first few games. Um if doesn't like McCarthy, they need to throw more, right? Michigan is kind of averaged in the Harbaugh era like 24 passes a game or something <laughs> like that, where, you know, Ohio State's throwing 40 plus passes a game, less than yeah. blowouts. And I think I saw a stat recently. I may be way off in this uh, memory, but it was like first half passing uh, attempts. Like Ohio State in the Harbaugh era was like 19 first half passing attempts a game versus Michigan's like 10.2 or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, that's so about right. Ohio yeah. State's passing at, you know, 2X the uh, the rate and, and Sasha's score scoring more, getting more possessions, et cetera. So if you make the switch to McCarthy, you got to kind of say, well, it's because he can throw NFL level passes and you got to take more shots at being, you know, a team like Alabama, Ohio state, uh, et cetera. I think this situation is very similar to Clemson uh, the year between Deshaun and, um, and um, Trevor Lawrence, right. Um, They had, Kelly Bryant come in for the one year, led him to the playoff, right? Uh, they got crushed by Alabama, and then Bryant came in and started the first four games of that next year while uh, while um, Trevor Lawrence is a freshman, and then Lawrence took over in game five, led him actually to the national title. Um, I think you could see a similar situation like that with Michigan. Once McCarthy's in, though, you got to pass the ball more. You got to you know you've got to get. 30 to 35 attempts a game, much higher than they are now. From an offensive perspective, um, outside of the quarterback, I'm really interested to see what Ronnie Bell does coming back. I think Andrell Anthony is a wild card. He showed a lot of potential in two or three games, but then disappeared for mostly the rest of the season as a true freshman. Um, Roman Wilson, right, was starting most of the season then kind of got a backup role for a while. Um, so they've got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, weapons. You add in A.J. Henning at a running back position, potentially, they've said, oh, Debo Samuel role but Michigan did a really good job whether it was Josh Gass or somebody else calling the plays last year of getting diamond Edwards and AJ Henning involved in multiple facets of the game. Edwards got, you know, 10 catches the one game against Maryland out of the backfield as a true freshman. Right. Um, and then Henning scored uh, a bunch of touchdowns and most of his big plays came on those reverses where Michigan's got, uh, it pulls a couple linemen in a tight end and he's got two or three blockers out and including, you know, against Ohio state scored that first touchdown. So, um, I didn't follow. I don't, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but there was a time at least going into the Ohio state game. I'm not sure if it continued going into Ohio state and then beyond, but I'm guessing it did Michigan had the most plays last year in college football over 50 yards. Right. And that's surprising Mm -hmm. to a lot of people because, wow, they don't have that for sure. Every game you'd have at least one, if not two um, and they're mostly on runs, but you have uh, Blake Corum taking off for a long run or you'd have Henning around the outside, but you also hit a couple of deep passes uh, throughout uh, the season. So I think it'll be explosive offense. And if they're going to beat Ohio state or have a, you know, championship college football playoff level season, 11 wins in the regular season type of year, I think their offense will have to be what the defense was last year and carry them uh, with two new offensive coordinators. I think it's a question mark.
0: I know. I know sometimes we look at the big 10 and I know we, I look at Ohio state, right. And I always say that the toughness wasn't there. Last year in the trenches for me as a high state fan, as someone who's grown up watching high state my whole life, there's anything anybody asks me about a high state, I always say that they're tough and in mm-hmm. the trenches. My question to you is Do you, how do you see this offensive line shaping out? Do you feel like they can win the point of attack? Do you think they can do that? Because I think we've learned in the Big Ten is if you can win the point of attack, no matter how, you know, maybe bad your defense is, but if you can win the point of attack, and you have that chance, you can score a lot of points. Do you think this is an offensive line that can get Michigan to that level where they're going to compete for a Big Ten championship?
2: I think the question about the offensive line kind of comes down to who you give credit for last year from the running game. Was it Hassan Haskins having a breakout year with 20 touchdowns and 30, 13, 1,400 yards rushing? Or was it did he do that because of the offensive line? And I don't know if anybody really knows. They've got three starters returning. Plus, you've got a guy who's got a, a ton of, uh you know, reps, a few starts. Plus, you've got uh a, you know all-American level center transferring from yeah, yeah. Virginia. So a lot of people think, well, you lost your worst offensive lineman on a really good <laughs> offensive line. Plus, you got a you know guy who's been there for a while coming in. So three starters, plus an all-American level transfer, plus a guy everybody knows can be counted on. So you don't expect a, a dip from the offensive line from what they're capable of. And so if you get into the fourth week, fifth week of the year, and Michigan isn't turning off 253-yard rushing games, I think it's like, well, Hassan Haslam is a much bigger deal than than maybe people give him credit for. Because Michigan doesn't have that type of running back this year. Corum is not a – you know, going to score five touchdowns against Ohio State kind of back, at least, you know, walking up the middle like, like Hassan did from time to time. And Diamond Edwards, I don't think he's that type of running back either. So either somebody else emerges, there's this uh, second year player, this uh, Dunlap is his last name. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. Um, and they've also got this Khalil Mullings, who is a second year linebacker who, you know, got running back reps in the spring that maybe he is the short down back. There's been some chatter around one of these freshman quarterbacks. They've got two freshman quarterbacks in the this year uh alex orgy is great you know taking out of the uh um just taking the direct snap and trying trying to run and i don't think that's a, an offensive strategy but maybe it gets you a touchdown here or there inside the five yard line so um the offensive line is gonna i think is gonna come down to was it hassan askins or was the offensive line you know it might be be both but the ground i, I coined this term ground rate offense that michigan had last year Coined by Yoder, um, I think it was a <laughs> lot more about Hassan Haskins emerging and finally being like yeah. the main guy after four years than it was the offensive line just moving people around. And they certainly were tough, and the offensive strategy, and they did a lot of the Harbaugh Stanford stuff, you know, pulling guards and pulling the center and opening things up. Um, but uh, I think Hassan had a lot to do with that. So remains to be seen if uh, they can just you know go for you know they went for three hundred plus yards, uh, what three of the four, four uh, three of the four, three of the first four games last year, and then. you know we're kind of an offensive running juggernaut for most of the year last year even including ohio state until you got to georgia who just completely shut them down
1: Mm. love that term ground raid man i am Mm. i'm hopefully allowed to steal that and use that on my own but take it (laughs) i will i will definitely use that but before i just want to wrap up the offensive discussion just with maybe a little bit of that ground or ground raid so Mm. you mentioned hassan haskins now gone and i I'm with you that Blake Corm definitely can't be that guy that's running between the tackles all the time. And I can remember back to like when I first started watching college football, Michigan's always had like one big back, whether it's like Chris Perry or Brandon minor, Mike Hart, like, and then Hassan Haskins was that guy last year. Mm-hmm. Right now we're looking at like Blake Corm, Donovan Edwards, and you mentioned Henning. How do you think that they are going to, uh, run the ball this year. You think they might get a little bit more creative, do a little bit more versus stuff outside, or do you think that they might actually maybe move to that pass game a little bit more?
2: Well, I mean, we don't know necessarily what Diamond Edwards is as a running back. He got so few attempts, being like the number three guy as a, you know, top 50 recruit last year. So I think he's an as known of a commodity as it is, he is, he's still kind of an X factor because you didn't see him carry the ball 15 times a game. So can him and Quorum become that version? And Edwards is a little bit bigger than Quorum. Can he take some of those third and twos and, and get, uh, you know, first downs? Um, and if not, then Michigan by default, you know, kind of turns into more of a um, non-ground rate offense. They've got to pass the ball. They've got to pass on third and short from time to time because when they know you're running and, and, and you know, you're running, it doesn't turn into uh first downs. It turns down into, into stops. So I hey, think Diamond Edwards is an interesting, uh, one to keep an eye on, but where I do think Michigan did a, a good job last year across the board is they called passes to running backs at the right times so which Jim Harbaugh had mm-hmm. never done in his career at Michigan. It was always like, they never throw screens. They never throw uh, a little kind of running back fake blocks and, and comes out, hell, not even a wheel route. And they did a ton last year. And they also, um, even when uh, it seemed obvious they did um, a really good job at the end around or reverses to allow them to A.J. Henning. Or if you guys can recall, if you watched a bunch of Michigan games last year, Michigan kind of made the flea flicker to Haskins part of the offense. Then they did like five or six of them throughout the year. Haskins takes the handoff, you know, started to toss it back and they go long. I think they converted on every single one of them um, that they did throughout the year. It went for like a 25 plus yard gain. I think specifically they did one against uh, Ohio, you know, the Ohio state one was Henning came on the fake reverse and then he kind of went around the outside and they passed it back to him. That's what it was. So um, if they do that, you can catch the offensive, uh, the defensive line linebackers off guard a little bit more. They can't always, you know, that, Hey, this is a, Haskins off uh, left tackle. We know that's coming, or a Quorum now this year, and so they did a pretty good job of that last year. New offensive philosophy,
1: or I guess coordinator, will that continue? I
2: think remains to be seen.
1: Yes. Mm. So, so moving over to the defensive side of the ball now. I mean, a lot of superstars over there, guys like Daxon Hill and uh, Aiden Hutchinson, and David Ojabo, but uh, a lot of those guys on that defense are gone now. So. How many more guys are going to have to step up this year? How many guys do they got returning? Like, is there enough on this mission defense that it can still be serviceable and maybe even, like, better than what people expect?
2: You know, um, they've certainly got talent. And I'm really excited about a player named Junior Colson, who was a four-star linebacker, um, started uh, five, six, seven games last year as a true freshman, came in and, um, and you know, took another, a redshirt freshman who had gotten the start early on and you know, took his role. So I think he's kind of the breakout guy. Once, if you look at Michigan film, the last three or four games, let's take the Georgia game out, but Ohio State and Iowa and a couple of games prior to that, he started to look a lot to me like Devin Bush, like you mm. would, not necessarily recognize this number. Okay. Who's 25 again? And you're just like, Hey, you know, it's not a, a big name player. You see this blur of uh blue go across the screen. Like, Whoa, who's that guy? Oh, boom. It's junior Colson again, just flying all over the place. So I'm excited to see about him. I think he's probably, in my opinion, the guy on the defense that is most likely to be a first round pick in the future. He's still got two more years to go. He's only a true sophomore. Um, Will Johnson in the the secondary, true freshman. Um, I bet he starts right off the gate, uh, right out of the. At least starts in a a five um, a player a nickel set at at worst. I think he starts uh, right out of the gate. Michigan was hurt by a couple: Vincent Gray, the cornerback; um, Chris Hinton, the defensive tackle. Both left early, left multiple years of eligibility on the table. Neither one of them got drafted, so I think it was a bad decision. So the Mm -hmm. defensive line is where Michigan is. going to struggle in some way they've got mozzie smith as the only uh returning starter uh pretty 330 pound defensive tackle out of you know the the state of michigan but they've got a guy's a lot of players who have had you know limited or no playing time who will be in the 2d and that's gonna be, be, be a big question last year it was such a revelation from michigan defense that you, you kind of under Don Brown, he almost got sick of the style he played. Under Mike McDonald last year, you can almost guarantee the quarterback was going to get pressured, you know, after yeah. the first couple of games was like, wow, this, who the hell is this Ojabo guy? You didn't even think he was going to be a starter this year. Ojabo and Hutchinson brought something different. And then they mixed in, uh, you know, corner blitzes, linebacker blitzes. So the defensive line has got to be the focus. The secondary is going to be okay. The linebackers have their, uh, their playmakers. What are you going to do with three new starters in the defensive line? And if you ask me, James, who are the guaranteed day one starters, guaranteed final game starters, of the defensive <laughs> line, I don't think I could tell you with any, you know, level of certainty. Um, Everyone's got their, you know, uh, early post-spring depth chart guys you can point to, but I think they'll rotate eight to ten guys in over the first half of the season and and hopefully find, uh, you know, four players or so that uh, work or potentially three. I think what they did last year was interesting. One last point in the defense is it was really like a two, almost like a two, five, four defense in a lot of ways because Hutchinson and job almost the entire year we're on the outside with their hand up as outside linebackers. And so Michigan really only had two guys with their hand down in the dirt, the two interior guys last year. So I think it gives them some flexibility if they keep that style with the new D.C. to not always have a true defensive end there coming off the edge. They can mix in linebackers, pull on some safeties uh, if they don't feel they have the talent on the defensive line to, uh, to get a consistent pass rush.
1: I think that's important that uh, you just play to, I guess, the strengths of your defense. But I feel like another default might be just that, you know, Michigan always seems to develop really good defensive linemen like Ojabo and Hutchinson this year. Rashad Gary, uh, Brandon Graham, Chase Winovich, like they just always seem to like have that guy that can pressure the quarterback. Like that's just something that Michigan always does. But I know you said you couldn't really make any predictions, but anybody in the spring game, uh, maybe that stood out to you. Uh, I know you mentioned Mozzie Smith as a guy that's coming back
2: yeah um let's see spring game was a very you know mission spring games are always kind of boring unfortunately <laughs> and uh mccarthy didn't play in it so you didn't really get a true offense for uh versus offense um uh comparison there's a player and i don't want to mess his name up because i think it's uh davis Warren. i was gonna say warren davis davis warren um who's uh, gonna be a second year um player. Uh, this year quarterback. Um, now he was a walk-on, but he got injured in high school, came to Michigan as a preferred walk-on. Hmm. He looked great actually, I don't think he's gonna play this year, but it could be one down the line if McCarthy leaves after twenty-three. You give this walk-on that could, you know, get into uh into the fray. But overall on offense, I expect um Diamond Edwards to emerge and end up being like the star of this, even over Blake Corham to be the star of the offense this year. um, I don't think he'll, you know, carry the ball 20 plus times a game, but I think he'll carry 12 times a game on average. Sometimes we'll get 15, 18, sometimes a little less, but I think he'll start catching three to five passes out of the, uh, the backfield and that'll be a big Uh, Impact so on uh, on offense, Diamond Edwards I think will end up being the best player on this team um, from an offensive perspective. Um, Defense, you know, I said Junior Colson already. Uh, DJ Turner came on last year, ended up being a starter. Um, you know, unseated, a, a, you know, a returning starter by midseason, He became a pretty good player. I thought he did a really good job even against like Ohio State at the end of the year with all their wide receivers. So I think he's the guy who has a potential to break out this year as like an all-conference uh, first-team, second-team player in the in the secondary for Michigan.
0: So my question is what that is, is then – I don't know if Josh is going to touch on this. He might touch on this. He usually does. What do you think would be an overall goal for Michigan or – Uh, like when it comes to wins, when it comes to the result in the game, which I'm really interested to hear you say as well, what do you think will be the kind of that prediction for you?
2: With the schedule being as weak as it is, which uh, (laughs) admittedly, it's it's a very weak schedule. I think if Michigan goes into the Ohio State game with more than one loss, it is considered a a disappointing season, right? Um, I think everyone wants to beat Ohio State's. We'll see what happens. Um, they certainly have more name talent returning with all the guys on offense and the big three with Henderson and Stroud, um, and Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. So they're expected to win the game. And I think the early point spreads are 14, 15 points, which kind of seems wild given that Michigan just won by 15. But Michigan's key components, Haskins and uh and Hutchinson and Ajabo, you know, and Dax Hill aren't there anymore. So I, I understand it in some regards. Um you, go into the, you lose more than one game going to Ohio State, I think the season becomes very disappointing yeah. because if you lose in Ohio State, okay, cool, then I've got three losses or maybe more, and then Michigan always seems to lose the bowl game under Harbaugh. So what do you look at? <laughs> four-loss season if you go into the Ohio State game and you lose that? Um, so if you go into the Ohio State game and um, you're, you're top six, seven in the country with one loss or less, I think people would say as long as it doesn't turn out to be 2018-19 Ohio State, which is 30, 40-point blowouts yeah. with Ohio State scoring on every possession – you're pretty happy with the season and you're really excited about the following season because in 23, all that defense is built up and you've got all kinds of guys, Quorum, maybe a Coram could go pro, but Edwards and, and McCarthy and Andrell Anthony and uh, you know, some other receivers that we mentioned earlier are all you know, going to return for that season as well. So I think if Michigan, you know, lives up to expectations, which, you know, has been questionable under Harbaugh um, you're excited about the future, even with what the recruiting is looking like right now.
0: Mm. It's going to be good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So just to kind of wrap that up, uh, we had Chris drew on from medicine sports uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was Mm -hmm. confident enough to say that Ohio state's going to go undefeated and win the national championship. Do you feel like, you know enough about this Michigan team to make uh, a prediction yet, or would you like to see maybe how that defensive line and maybe some stuff in the spring with the quarterback situation go before making a prediction for record and like the championship and stuff like that.
2: So um, I I will predict they'll go 10 and one into Columbus. Now I, I, I don't want to get ahead of my skis here and say, Oh, is going to go in and beat Ohio state in Columbus. Like they haven't done in 22 years. Um, I think that's a little crazy to say, uh, I may have a chance and I will question, um, C.J. Stroud, right, he looks good in the Ryan Day offense. He looked great against, uh, you know, the running back playing cornerback against for Utah in the Rose Bowl where they had their entire secondary out. Sure, I could throw for 500 yards against, uh, you know, the the rec team's secondary. That's never last. But I joked about this throughout the month of November when it led up to, you know, it was pretty clear Michigan-Ohio State would be, um, you know, two one-loss teams playing for the Big Ten, playing for a shot in the Big Ten championship, uh, and the playoff is I said, look, you from California. The state of Ohio has had, uh, I think, one uh, – two, two players in history had started a game – who were California recruits in versus Michigan, they both lost. And I said, look, if the weather's cold, in Ann Arbor, you can go back to look, go back to the videos on YouTube um, or, you know, the week leading up to the game two weeks prior that he has never thrown a competitive pass in below 35 degrees in his life, high school, and maybe in middle school. I don't even know, but never in high school, certainly not in college to that point. And people will say, Oh, he, he threw for 364 yards against Michigan. He did great. I think he actually played pretty pedestrian against uh, Michigan. He was bailed out by a few legendary catches by three first-round wide receivers um, to keep a few drives alive. And when it came down to scoring at the end, he didn't get it done. So uh, I'm interested to see from Stroud. I'm not going to crown him the first pick and a Heisman winner until I see him uh, play you know, in cold weather multiple times and, and get the win. And if it's 30 degrees or below in Columbus in November, which is not always the case, I'll take Michigan just off of what I thought Stroud uh, proved to us, which is he has never played in cold, and it's a whole different ballgame when it's you know, 24 degrees and there's snow on the ground. So I'm hoping for the cold in Columbus.
1: Sounds good. So uh, I know that you are uh, we are nearing that time that you got to take off. So I just want to ask you one more question about uh, maybe the Big Ten as a whole, uh, maybe even becoming a super conference. They just added USC and UCLA. I think that was kind of in response to the SEC getting Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, Do you think this could be uh, where college football is going? Do you think the Big Ten SEC could eventually be like an AFC, NFC like we see in the NFL? Or how do you think that uh, about the direction of college football right now?
2: I mean, I don't love it from a tradition perspective. Um, You know, the... The Big Ten, they've always been in lockstep with the Pac 10, Pac-12. And clearly that's not the case anymore. You know, they would they stuck together with the you know the, the 90s about making sure the Rose Bowl had significance and the, the Bowl Alliance and the CFP, the different rotation. And now for all you know reasonable intents and purposes, the Rose Bowl doesn't mean anything anymore, right? Because who's gonna really, you know, does it really matter if it's a, a non-playoff teams and now USC? who is the Ohio State to the Michigan, the Pac-12, they're not there anymore. So what does that really matter? So a lot of tradition has gone out uh, the, down the drain, which I don't necessarily like. Um, I will be disappointed in just the greater good of college football if some schools, like a lot of the remaining Big 12 or the Pac-12 schools, if they just get left behind where they've got no conference, so they've got to kind of drop down a level. So I hope it turns into, if this is the, the way we're going, that at least there's three conf- you know, three super – Conferences because Big 10 SEC, that's fine, but you'll leave a lot of schools out, right? Well, those can have 20 each. So you've got 40 schools. You also have 25 Power Five teams or so now that get left out. So I'm hoping the ACC, Big 12, Pac 12 can kind of figure out some. Uh, new world order on their own perspective where you get um, Clemson, Florida state, Miami to maybe you know, team with, you know, the best teams, the big 12, the best teams, uh, the Pac 12 that are left, maybe a nationwide super conference. That would be interesting. Um, because if it just becomes, you know, NFL lights, ah, I don't know. The NFL is already there. I liked all the quirkiness of the different conferences and the different yeah. styles of play. And I don't necessarily want it to turn into just, you know, Oh, well, whoever wins this 30 conference, 30 team conference, they go to the, to the college super bowl or something like that that would kind of kill some of the luster and allure of college football for me
1: Yeah. yeah. But, Me and Ben lean more on the traditional side too. We love how uh, intense the regular season is, the rivalries, uh, yes. some of those quirkiness, as you said. Uh, but yeah, it looks like the PAC 12 might end up being like if Oregon and Washington end up leaving, they might end up being like the mountain West and have to drop a level, as you said, in your, in your Dante Moore breakdown, I watched on YouTube, but uh, thank and you, James, if, for joining us. One,
2: one more thing to add. Yeah. I if, if, yeah. want to add this a minute ago. If the big 10 does decide to, uh, Explore and add teams. I don't think it should just be well. we are going to take uh, the name teams from the remaining Pac-12, Oregon and Washington, whoever. I think it should be like, go if you're going to California, go nationwide. I think they should go for. I think Stanford for a few reasons. If they got Notre Dame, that's a rivalry thing. Okay, Stanford Notre Dame. You've got. The so Northern California, Pacific Northwest. I'm kind of indifferent about Oregon and Washington, whatever. But then go for North like teams that align with the Big Ten. Um, I think uh, North Carolina. I think Virginia would actually be an interesting one. I think Duke would be an interesting one. So you've got hmm. five or six teams there with Notre Dame. That you add them, you get to twenty or twenty-two. You know, then you've got you've got that nationwide conference that probably has more talent than uh, and West Virginia. They can stand in the Big Twelve. <laughs> Um, that has more talent than the sec does at least now until the sec decides to add a few more schools if you added you know some of the schools i just mentioned
1: yes those those, some of those schools you mentioned are definitely like they have the academic standards that the big 10 loves so Mm -hmm. that those would make sense but yeah thank you for joining us james definitely a fun conversation we had today Uh, where can people find you on social media if you don't mind sharing your twitter and youtube and all that good stuff
2: yeah, just at James Yoder, J A M E S Y O D E R on Twitter. Also, youtube.com slash Michigan TV, all one word. Uh, or check out Chat Sports. Uh, we've got 30 uh, shows, 28 YouTube channels at youtube.com slash Chat Sports
0: TV. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, James. We appreciate it. Uh, go Bucks. I'm just sorry. Uh, no, but uh, thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, we appreciate it. Hopefully you have a great uh, start to the new football season. Uh, I'm sure everyone would check it out. So uh, thank you for coming on and uh, we'll see you next time. Maybe again, who knows? Appreciate it guys. Thanks. See ya. Thank you, James, for being on the podcast. We appreciate that. And we thought we'd follow up the little interview we had with him with some of our thoughts on the last few guests we've had, especially both David and James, who are obviously Michigan guys. They're Michigan guys at the the core. So we thought we'd talk about that. So Josh, what are some things that have stuck out with you, uh, with James and some of the things that he said and uh, what you would like to talk about?
1: Yeah. First off, it's, it's kind of interesting that, uh, I mean, you can have a lot of different opinions within a fan base, but it just goes to show, you know, that that one guy that you see on the internet doesn't speak for like a whole fan base. Like there's, there's diversity in there. There's some guys that might tend to be a little bit more delusional. Some guys that might be a little bit more realist, uh, definitely sounded like James had a little bit more concerns than David Cohn did at least with, uh, the recruiting situation that Michigan's in right now. Like I believe the 2022 class is ranked in the top 10, but that 2023 is like down in either the, the high forties or like lower thirties and they've been missing out on these quarterbacks. And that's definitely seems like more of a concern on James than than David's in.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's very fascinating. I think you talked about, you know, you've, you've mentioned it before that, you know, we can't just rely on one person or one expert or all these different things. Right. It's, it's all, the results are what matters. Right. And I think it's very interesting though to hear David, right. When we talked to him a few days ago, like he's so like, like, so positive, like I think the most positive Michigan fan I've been around, I think in a really long time, or at least the one that I've heard that's very optimistic. And I almost not that I think and James had also some amazing points, and I you see kind of his hesitancy, hesitancy There we go. Um, but I the one thing about David is though he's been in that in that locker room, and so I think he has that like, okay, he sees something that maybe we don't see, right. That maybe there's something that we don't see that he kind of is like, yeah, I just have this feeling. That it's going to be a very good year. Um, obviously we'll see what happens when we get to the highest state game and and maybe we'll have him on again, and and we'll we'll talk about that. But it is interesting to see the the differences between from from expert to expert. You know, two guys who study Michigan really well, um, and they have kind of different opinions. But at the same time, they both agree on on, on a couple of things as well. The Jim Harbaugh inf- uh, situation, for instance, like kind of similar uh, opinions about that. So yeah, it is very fascinating.
1: Yeah, the schedule too like James admitted that the schedule is easy and I don't think anybody would argue that it's going to no. be hard like you going through here like they're starting off with Colorado State, Hawaii, Yukon, Maryland like That's 4-0 that oh right there. Easily. Then you get to two road games with Iowa and IU. Like, we like to – I mean, we saw Michigan blast Iowa in the Big Ten Championship yeah. last year, so I wouldn't think that that's anything of concern. IU's been kind of at the bottom here last year, so that's that should be an easy win despite it being on the road. But then you get to the middle here, and you got – you do get these two games at home, Penn State and Michigan State. I imagine that is where James would say that that maybe that one loss
0: yeah. going yeah, into yeah. the
1: Ohio State game happens. I mean, having to play both of those teams back-to-back. Uh, is definitely a challenge, but then again, I think a lot of people are higher on Penn State than I am right now. They really have been down in the dumps the last two years, uh, from what they, tr- I guess, expect to be at, well, it's right?
0: Even I, I think Penn State's been that way ever since. I think I heard on what was it? It was on Menace to Sports where they were talking about since the 2017 game, right? The game where JT Barrett kind of came out and they had that really crazy comeback, right? And I think. Ever That's since right, then, yeah. I feel like Penn State hasn't been the Penn State. Like, they get to the game, big games, they lose. They get to a bigger game, they lose. And so they say that could be a tough game. But if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm looking at this schedule and going, we should easily, easily have zero losses going to the highest state game. Like, yeah. if, you, if you're saying what, what James has said about the talent, what what David has been saying, raving about the talent, then you can't tell me that they should not be walking to the high state game with a unblemished record right like they the only game the only game because of rivalry Michigan State's the only game where I sit there and go okay maybe you slip up because the rivalry game you're you got that but even then I'm like Rutgers Nebraska Illinois that's
1: if you don't win those games then Jim Harbaugh better be fired, right? Like, like those are the games you can't lose. Yes. Those last three that you just said definitely should be wins too. And then, and then to kind of touch on Michigan State last year, they were at Sparty, and Kenneth Walker rushed for t- five touchdowns, and they ended up beating Michigan by four points. So it was a close game last year. Uh, Michigan State, I don't know what all they're going to have returning. They definitely yeah. need to get that quarterback situation figured out, though, Bad. for sure. And I don't know who's coming in to fill in that running back spot for Walker, but I imagine he will, it's going to be tough to like match what Walker did last year. I thought he should have been a Heisman candidate, best running back in all college football, in my He got opinion. banged
0: up, though. He got banged up, and that shows you if you rely too heavy on the game, the running game, it's going to bang you up and it's going to, and unless you have that flexibility, I think missing that quarterback was a huge bummer for them.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely could see Michigan roll into that Columbus game undefeated, but if they were to have a loss, I would assume it's going to be either this Michigan state or Penn state game. So, yeah, that I I got to agree with James on that. At least at least one loss is what I would expect and if it's more than I mean that that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I would love to see like the game of the the game of the century again, right? I would love to see a 1 versus 2, a high state versus Michigan. I would love to see that. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I look at, you know, Michigan's schedule, I Michigan seems to always have that bump in the road before they get to high state, And it's weird. It's like the last few years since Harbaugh has been, there. there's always that one game that you're like, Oh, they should win this game. But then they, when well, then they don't, they don't. And so I, I'm really interested to see if there is that game this year, if not, then, okay, I'm wrong. But I, but personally for the rivalry sake, I would love to see a one versus two or a two versus three. And it, it defines everything. I would love to see that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Nebraska almost was that game last year. I mean, it was a really fun game to watch. I remember watching on TV. It was at night, um, I believe, at Nebraska as well. And Michigan ended up winning that game by three. But that Nebraska team also was kind of interesting because they were were playing all these like top 25 games. And I mean, they finished with three and nine, but all their losses were like single digit points. And it was like this team very easily could have been like, you know, a 10 and two team, but they ended up being three and nine. So, I mean, Nebraska, I guess, if there was a game on this schedule that maybe could, uh, be like that hiccup, maybe it's that one just because Ohio state is two games after that one. Maybe they're looking a little too far ahead, but, uh, that again, I think the Penn state, Michigan state having to go back to back there, maybe one of those ends up being that loss. Um, but another thing I, I know you kind of, uh, want to talk a little bit more about Stroud, but I think James' criticism of Stroud was legit, not having the experience into the cold weather that uh, maybe some of these other QBs have, but... I mean, we've talked about it multiple times. I think that CJ will be the best QB. I think talent wise, he has like all that arm talent. Um, But obviously last year he had some flaws, like he's got to get that toughness up. He's got to be able to play in the cold because I imagine in the NFL, he's going to have to, he's going to be playing in a lot more cold weather than what he typically has been being in Cali, uh, and stuff like that. So uh, I guess these are just things that I assume are going to happen, but then again, you never know. Do you want to make any kind of a comment on that? I don't know. Like I,
0: I get it. You know, it it's, it's the, it's the daily routine of being a high estate fan, right? There's always one player on your team that you think's amazing or that, you know, but no, in, in all reality, you know, he did say some things that were, there are very true. Like Stroud did not necessarily play the greatest game of his life against Michigan, but, and you know, we hear the term bailed out and, and yeah, maybe he did, but I mean, we talked off air, like it's 11 players on the team. Like you're going to have throws that are going to need to be caught crazy. Right. Or you're going to have to hand it all the ball off or your lineman make an amazing block to get you a space or whatever. So it's more than just Shroud, right? It's not that I think Ohio state is going to go undefeated and win the national title because of just Shroud. They have the, in my opinion, a top three running back in the country. And in my opinion, they have the best wide receiver in the country. They have very good offensive line. I think it's gonna be a lot tougher offensive line than last year. We talked to Chris about that, we know that. But I also think the defense is going to be a lot better. I think a lot of people keep saying, well, is he going to have time to do it? I mean, the, if the if a coach is getting paid this much money, cannot at least get something figured out that's better than last year in the months that he has, then we should just fire him. Right. Like, I believe that the reason why I believe this highest A team will go ahead and win all, win this. All, and I haven't said this about a team. I don't think a high state team ever. I've always said, like, hey, they have a chance to run the table, they have a chance to go. 14 and one 13 and one and run the table. But I have never said even in 2020 during that shortened season, when they had that opportunity, even then I didn't believe that they could get it done because I didn't feel like they were ready. This is a team that was too early last year. This is the team this year that I truly believe can go undefeated that can run the table. And I believe, and I truly believe this, that they will go out and win the national title. I just, I, I, I I just know how Ryan day thinks and I know how much anger this frustrated the Buckeye team for the comments that Michigan said for the comments that have been said at the Heisman trophy ceremony, like people don't realize words stick and in the football locker room, I've been in a football locker room as a coach. Trust me. I know what we posted on that board in high school. I know what we put on the whiteboard in high school. You put things that are said by the media. This is a high state team that everyone should be scared of. And I'm not talking just offensively. I'm talking defensively as well.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think we are going to see a lot of uh, a lot of tension. I mean, Ohio State's two most important games in the regular season are that first one with Notre Dame. That last one with Michigan, and we've been seeing kind of a little bit of trash talking going. I know that you don't really like some of the stuff that Marcus Freeman's saying. I know that there's a lot of uh, Ohio State guys like Al Washington, James Laurinaitis, also on that coaching staff. So it's definitely going to be a game that both sides care about and got circled up. And then kind of on the flip side too, Michigan, like some of the stuff that Harbaugh has said about like being born on third base and like stuff like that. But I remember listening to an interview Blake Clorm did on Busting with the Boys talking about how in his Michigan career, I mean. He's going into his junior year and they still haven't lost to Ohio state yet. Granted, he's only played them once. It hasn't been twice, but I mean, he can but, still but say even, that, I guess. But it, so but
0: this is my thing though, with Jim Harbaugh, my like, dude, you are the chosen child, right? Like you're the, you're like the guy, you're the Michigan guy coming back and you can't beat Ohio state. It took you this long. Like there's not about third base Yeah, Okay. It was handed to him, but Dude, I'm sorry that you had Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez to follow. Like, you don't have anybody handing it off to you that has built a culture. Like, to me, I just – I don't know. Like, I just feel like Michigan – not maybe, not necessarily Michigan fans. I think Michigan fans in general are very cautious about this, but I'm talking about the players. The players seem very like, hey, we just won the Super Bowl. And it's like, dude, you beat Ohio State first time in like eight years. Like, yeah. dude, like – What are you like? The last time you beat a high estate was when we had an interim head coach. Like that shows me that there is some issues that, okay, you figured out one time, show me you do it twice, then I'll be more willing to say like, okay, this is back to a very good rivalry and a dynasty.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. The team seems uh, definitely more optimistic, uh, maybe than the fan base does. James still has some questions that he said he's going to need answered about that defensive line and also wants to know who's going to be playing quarterback. Uh, David Cohen also mentioned, like, let's talk a little bit maybe about uh, before the game happens. So hopefully we can make that happen. But I mean, Hopefully, and I know even on the Ohio State side, like you guys want Michigan to be back because you want this rivalry to happen. You don't want, I mean, you don't want Clemson to be your rival, right? Like you want that Michigan game to mean something. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, Chris. No. (laughs) Yeah, Chris Drew. No. And that's something that like our last few guests, like even Joe, like we just had Joe De on and David seems to be uh for the tradition of college football. And James seems to be for the tradition of college football. Like, I mean, David and everything that makes Ohio. it different from the NFL. I mean, David,
0: even was saying in Ohio, you know how much that just drove me insane this whole, the whole <laughs> yeah. episode. Okay. You have no idea.
1: Yeah. But uh, the tradition like of college football, we, we love that and we hope that yeah. this Michigan Ohio state rivalry gets restored.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do. And I think that's what makes college football. Like what do what do you, Josh, what do you think? Like, putting aside that you know nothing like you you're not a fan of any team but when you think of college football what do you think of what are some of the games that you think of
1: like i mean the right off the top of my head like some of the i guess those new year six bowls like i mean there's been so many good like rose bowls and i can remember some like heck of a bunch of great fiesta bowls. And then i probably think about the rivalries between like Ohio State, exactly. Michigan and Alabama and all Florida, Florida and State, Florida, Florida State, that's Florida,
0: what. Miami, Florida State,
1: Miami, like all exactly. these And then games. out West, like USC and UCLA, yeah. and Oregon, Oregon State, the Civil like, War, like all these rivalries. And what I'm saying about that is
0: like, that is what, that's what the High State Michigan game to me matters, right? Like people ask me, why do I stay up? I'm here in Hungary. Why do I stay up until 12 o'clock, one in the morning to watch Ohio State football games? Why do I stay up that late to watch the high state Michigan game? Because that to me is what I grew up on. It's the tradition. It's waking up on a Saturday morning, watching college game day here, feeling the cool breeze of the fall outside through the window and being pumped to watch a high state football. That's what a high state versus Michigan. And I know, I know we were joking before. What did I think about, uh, all these Michigan people on the last few weeks? You know, it's hard, right? right? You know, it's been hard the last few episodes to keep my mouth shut, to kind of just be professional and I think part of that is just it's the rivalry, right? It's the tradition. And um, you asked me like what, what did I what did I feel, right? Like when David was on, I was more like like kind of like an awe because he works at Daily Wire. Like, okay, I was like, okay, that one was a little more like then he started dropping the Ohio thing. And I was just like, okay, this is frustrating me. But no, in general, I think if you're an Ohio State fan and you come in contact with a Michigan person, the first thing you think of is the rivalry. Like here in here in here in Budapest, in Hungary, we were walking in the great market hall, downtown Budapest tons of markets. I see a guy sitting in a chair eating like some langos and then with a Michigan shirt on. I'm in Budapest, Hungary. And the first thing that came to my mind was that it's an Ohio State football game that's coming up very soon. And you're very proud to wear that Michigan shirt because I haven't seen a lot of those here in Europe, but not until this year, Till this, <laughs> this year is when I started seeing more and more come over. And So it it is one of those things that you will always have when you're in this rivalry, you know, you grew up in Ohio, you know, how passionate people can get. But I also think I loved what James said that not every fan is obnoxious. I think a high state Michigan fans, both on both sides, get this, this, like, I don't know this. I don't know. People assume that we're just this very like biased. We don't really think outside the box, but if you really honestly talk to us, we're very like upset about, our own team sometimes, right? Like, I know you hear that from me. Like, I get
1: really angry. I feel like away. Michigan and Ohio yeah. State fans tend to be the biggest self-critics of their teams. And exactly, it's like it's like with Nick Saban at Alabama, like everybody like laughs at him for talking about how bad they are after they just blasted a team 48 yeah. to nothing. And it's like, well, because he sees that there are some flaws that they are not where they need to be to like win the big one. And I think Michigan and Ohio State fans tend to uh, be the same way. Yeah. And and I, again, I think it goes back to that reverie, And that's why I think it again,
0: I, you know, to really finish up is like the tradition of football is I'm scared that we're losing it. Like, I'm scared that the tradition of college football is going to go down the drain, that money has become more of an important thing that that what happens in the marketing world, the the media world, you know, if oh dear lord, if if Disney gets a hold of one of these, one of these shows, one of these, you know, conferences, what are they going to do to it? You're right. You're going to turn to a TV series on Disney Plus? I don't know. Right. So that is what that's what scares me, right? Is just I I fear the losing of tradition, you know, the USC versus Ohio State, the old rivalry, right? The USC UCLA rivalry, the Notre Dame, Michigan, the Notre Dame, Ohio State that hopefully will come this year, right? Will we have these rivalries in two years? Will the Ohio State-Michigan game happen every year? If that doesn't happen every year, like you heard David say, he was very upset that the Michigan game didn't happen during that COVID year. As you know me, I said this, I was very angry that they said they couldn't field a team. I'm sorry, it's a rivalry game. If it was against Illinois, okay, I understand. This is the rivalry game. You're going to chicken out? I hold Harbaugh for that game. Like, you know, it might not have been his decision, but like we know, we know that there is influence that can be made when it comes to the football games. But I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, I think, Uh, I mean, there were some reports coming out that maybe Michigan lied about some tests or like just the way that the, the series of events unfolded. It was like, okay, this isn't adding up. And then there's also like, why can't we just push this game back a week or something yeah, like that? Like seriously to make it happen. But Yeah, Uh, ultimately, though, I do hope that as uh, maybe this nil stuff will self-regulate, as Joe was saying on one of our last episodes, and that even with the bigger, uh the bigger mega conferences, maybe those will turn into like maybe some subdivisions, and Michigan Ohio State will stay in the same one, so that like that's always a guarantee on the schedule. Or if they adopt like this three five five idea that the that the ACC has, so that you're playing like the three same teams every year. Hopefully that those rivalries uh end up staying in place. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. It's what makes college football different than the NFL, right? It's like all the traditions. And that's why we love it. And that's why I will always love
0: college game day. I will always love, you know what I love about college football, Josh, is that I can go from a Friday night football game at my local high school. I can go to bed at like 12 o'clock at night. Cause that's usually when I got home. I wake up, watch college game day for three hours. I turn on the TV at noon and I don't stop watching college football until eight o'clock. Now that I'm in Hungary, it's usually like five in the morning. But back when I was in high school, back when I was in college, that's what I love about college football. You can't argue anything with me to tell me that NFL has a better experience. You can't, right. There's I mean, nothing we, like it.
1: We follow, we follow that up with like the win on Friday night. And then you, like you said, go in college game day and for Ohio state fans the majority of the time they're tuning in and they're coming off of a win. And then on Sunday they turn the Browns on and then they and watch they that team lose. And then they cry. Right. And then they go into Monday, like, you know, with like this sad cloud above their head and the NFL ruined them. That's why college football <laughs> is superior, Ben that is true and it's also why
0: you know Florida fans like Josh himself you know they Friday night his high school team loses Florida then loses and then he watches the Browns lose so oh I'm sorry wait no that's wrong wrong. we just are
1: miserable down the swamp and that's also I mean I'm not gonna lie like I say I'm a Florida fan but I love college football too much to waste my time watching some of these meaningless Florida games like if there's a bigger high profile Big Ten matchup like I'm gonna watch that one I'm sorry
0: it's just, hey, it's the way it goes. It's the way it goes.
1: But, but. like the the world's largest cocktail party, like that Florida, Georgia game. I'm always going to watch that. I'm always going to be tuning in, like in some capacity to the Florida, Florida state game after that Michigan, Ohio state game. But I mean, I'm not gonna sit and watch Florida play Kentucky, you know, if like Michigan is taking on Wisconsin or if we got oh, like course. a USC Oregon matchup. Like it's just not gonna happen. Of course. And
0: yeah. So anyways, we want to just say uh, thank you for, I don't know, the last like week. I mean, we've been loading them, man. We've been, We've been putting out episodes for like... Yes. Last week can we half,
1: actually man. right now, everybody like the video and comment. Thank you, Ben, for all the <laughs> editing, the extra editing that he's been doing because I got like overexcited about getting guests on and I've booked all like these, these episodes like back to back to back. So Ben's been doing a lot more work than I have.
0: <laughs> I, I will say, though, that we did say that we want to get this in before... I was going to be gone. So those of you that don't know, I'm going to give you a little heads up. So this is the last episode you'll see me on for a week. So I will be off at camp slash vacation. That's like my only vacation really It's camp, but uh, I'll be off. Um, it will be Josh. And I believe we have two co-hosts possibly. I won't announce who they are until we know for sure, but we have people coming on and joining Josh. Um, he'll be taking over the show. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm worried. No, but anyways, <laughs> it's going to be audio only just to make life easier on both of our lives. Um, It'll be audio only. I'll be posting that at the normal time that always comes out, um, just so you know. But also, I want to give a big shout out to all of our guests from the last few few episodes. Like, honestly, you guys have made it so much fun for us um, for just you doing your effort of just getting our show out there. Um, Thank you to all that have been watching from YouTube. I mean, our YouTube views as well as uh, who's been listening on both Spotify and Apple podcasts. We really appreciate that. And if you want to know what's going on more and more, make sure you check on uh, our Instagram, which is at baseline.podcast. Go ahead and feel free to DM us there. Let us know like your thoughts. If you have any questions um, or if you want to see some different content, let us know. We're always, as Josh has shown me, that he is more willing to just do some crazy things in a little amount of time that you give him. So, uh, no, but we're all excited for what's happening. Uh, we hope that you are excited as well. So make sure, again, like he said earlier, make sure you like, uh, comment, subscribe, all that stuff on YouTube, and then make sure as well that you give us a star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Boost it up. Let more people hear about it. And then we have more guests. Right, Josh. I mean, that's the best part, right? Is having more people than just us two talking all the time.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. We've been we've been getting love from the Menace Army, from the Daily that Wire Training Company Booster Club. Like it's it's awesome. So I would like to continue to keep this train rolling. Absolutely, absolutely. So,
0: that, once again, thank you guys so much. We appreciate everything that you guys do for us, and that's just literally watching or listening. So, uh, hopefully, you guys have a great rest of your week. Uh, I'll see you in like a week and a half, uh, but Josh will see you next week. So until then. We'll see ya.